Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. When you need milk for Zoe and a cold brew for yourself, Kroger Delivery will get you just what you need in as little as 30 minutes. Open the Kroger app and start your cart. Whatever the cart. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Delivery time's not guaranteed. Restrictions may apply. See site for details. When you're a Boost member, you get free delivery, double fuel points, and lots more. Sign up at Kroger.com slash boost. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All-Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome one and all to the X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I am your host, I am your guide, as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern right here on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. If you'd like to check us out on any of the social media sites, www. Wait a sec, let's go back and just say any of the social media sites, all you need to do is use our name, Exxon Radio TV. And for the program guide and all the other programming we have available for you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, go to www.xzbn.net. Exonation, my first guest tonight is John Potash. He's been featured on C-SPAN's American History TV, A&D, and the Reels channel. He's also been featured on hundreds of radio stations in the U.S. and abroad. He did his graduate studies at Columbia University and has published articles in Z Magazine, the Free Press, Covert Action Quarterly, the Baltimore Chronicle, among other publications. He published Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, Panthers, Hendricks, Lenin, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. He previously published the FBI War on Tupac, Shakur, and Black Leaders going back to 2007. His website is johnpadash.com. John, welcome back to the Exxon. Thanks for having me on again, Rob. Uh, John, um, in, in the recent Netflix documentary, Woodworm alluded to how ABC News cited CIA documents about MKUltra's hit list, the leftist leaders, to dose with LSD acid. Uh, first of all, can you tell our listeners what 
MK Ultra was and whom did it target? Well, an Academy Award winner produced the documentary Wormwood and got very good reviews for mm -hmm. its coverage of how the CIA's project MKUltra killed one of its own scientists, Frank Olson, for threatening to leave his CIA post and his Army work in 1953. And so that film series mentioned important MKUltra agents, such as Robert Lashbrook, who I'll talk more about later. Okay. But Project MKUltra was a vast program started in 1953, they end up having 149 sub-projects focusing mostly on the use of drugs in what their documents call unconventional warfare. And so the warfare targets included international leftist leaders as well as leftist leaders in the U.S. And the international leaders you could, were like people such as uh, Fidel Castro and Che Guevara, along with uh, African leader uh, Kwame Nkrumah, who was the Egyptian leader at the time. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, in terms of, but in the U.S., I, I focus the most on two two American activist groups, the Black Panthers and the Students for a Democratic Society. And so, um, now these two groups were the largest, you know, pro civil rights groups in the country and the largest anti war groups, I, I believe, in, you know, in the country at the 1960s. They sure active. were, yeah. And so now, some of the other sub projects for MKUltra included uh, the Human Ecology Fund, which was an MKUltra front group that uh, funded over um, 100 colleges to do experiments with LSD and other psychedelics on college students. And they also funded experimentation in hospitals and prisons. And I'm very sorry that one of those hospitals was the Canadian hospital that assaulted a member of your family, Rob. That's right, yeah. But... Yeah, and it's but that I mean that was more than experimentation. That was this horrible, you know, barbaric uh, work of the, that monster Ewan, you know, uh, Ewan Cameron, Cameron, yep. Ewan Cameron, who actually, you know, at one point headed the World Psychiatric, you know, Association. It's, it's, it's really scary and horrible. Um, so that's basically what MK Ultra was about. Now, what does the us in the title of the book represent, John, and how is it related to targeting of musicians and activists on the cover of the book? So the us represents, in my mind, a leftist activist and idealistic young adults in general. So this was done partly through paying students to try psychedelics, such as LSD, yeah. um, known as you know, acid, of course, and they accomplished this by getting psychiatrists to have their patients use drugs for purported therapeutic reasons, and so not only in hospitals, but in private practice. And they, they used uh, LSD on famous patients, such as actors. And then their media assets uh, would highlight that, um, you know, that these actors, you know, would extol the, the virtues of LSD in therapy. Now, the CIA had cooperative media, most of whose owners were collaborative, collaboratively with the CIA on projects such as MKUltra. <laughs> And um, so Carl Bernstein highlighted this in Rolling Stone magazine in 1977, that Watergate muckraker. Um, and so he, he just basically published the report of the U.S. Senate Church Committee that said well over 400 members of the media lived dual lives in their work for the CIA. And he, he listed a lot of those members that included the ownership of virtually all the major media in the country. Mm. And so that's partly how they could run uh, psychological warfare operations inside their media and promote LSD. Now, I, I argue that they did this um, 
partly to, you know, to oppose the anti-war movement and, of course, the civil rights movement because they were extremely racist. And so one of the ways that they appealed to, to the masses was to manipulate musicians. And so they particularly targeted musicians to have the most influence over people's hearts and minds since the you know, musicians' music's, music and lyrics you know, have the most effect over our hearts sure. and minds. So evidence supports that most of the musicians and activists on the cover of my book were manipulated by MKUltra-connected agents to use drugs and that the collaborating media then highlighted them for promotion. Then when these musicians and activists sobered up and started getting into activism, they often were killed or at least taken out of the media spotlight. Tell me, how can the CIA work within the United States if it's chartered only to work outside of the USA? Well, it's, uh, in its charter, it was said that it was basically allowed to go around the law. It, you know, in legalese, they, they hmm. put that in the charter. And Seymour, you know, they really aren't supposed to work in the United States anyway. Right. And Seymour Hersh, in, uh, you know, he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, reporter for the New York Times here, in the early 1970s, exposed the fact that the CIA was running vast operations inside the United States against the anti-war movement, and uh, he was, you know, highlighted in the in the documentary series Wormwood. But uh, many people know his name for his great reporting here in the United States, um, and so he exposed that you know there were operations in the United States. The Senate Church Committee followed up on that, and exposed mm -hmm. their operations in the United States, and yet. They have so much power, they continue to run them anyway behind right. you know, politicians' backs and behind our backs. Well, we know for a fact that the largest uh, CIA station was actually the University of, of uh, Miami. Wow, didn't know that. Yeah, during the time yeah, of the, I, uh, during the time of uh, the, um, the debacle, the going back to the 60s, so when uh, during the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis prior to the, uh, the Cuban crisis, uh, during the time of the JFK assassination. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it sure yeah, does. Because they used a lot of anti-Castro Cubans in their in their operations. Um, you were mentioning that uh, you know the CIA owned or had their hands in the the working of major media outlets. Do you think that's the case today as well? Oh, definitely. Um, and it, it's a lot of different ways that happens. I mean, not only by using you know a, a lot of willing media owners to do these, mm -hmm. uh, to run these operations, but they also, there's uh, so many ways that they control our mainstream media. For example, um, Ben Bagdikian was, was like a highlight of the uh, recent movie, a blockbuster, The Post, which just came out this weekend yeah. you know, nationwide uh, about the Washington Post. And Bagdikian went on to become uh, head of the University of California School of Journalism. He had won Pulitzer Prizes. And he stumbled upon the fact when he took a sabbatical, that the media was basically owned by a very small group of multinational corporations owned of, you know, virtually 95% of uh, our information sources, okay? And he found, he, he republished the book in different, you know, more and more editions that showed uh, increasing concentration of media ownership to the fact that today he has said that um, six or less corp multinational corporations control 95% of the information we get. And um, so he showed the way that uh, all these, all the you know top media, mm -hmm. Time, you know Time Warner, the biggest media company, plus New York Times, you right. know, the top uh, newspaper, share boards of directors with these multinational corporations, such as defense contractors, uh, pharmaceutical companies, banks, insurance companies, et cetera. 
And by their corporate bylaws, they are not supposed to make decisions that go against the profit margin of their corporations. So by corporate law, they're not supposed to, you know, publish things in their newspapers that go against, for example, the, you know, uh, war profits for defense contractors. Sure. And that's some of the way it works to control John, I, our information. John, I'm going to ask you to hold on. We've got to take our first break. Exxon Nation, John Potash is our special guest. www.johnpotash.com. Uh, he's published Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, Panthers, Hendricks, Lennon, Cobain, Tubac, and other activists in 2015. And we're going to be talking more about the strange, the weird, the bizarre, but the reality of what goes on in the world today. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Gwilda Wiaka's latest book, The Science of Magic, Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is the first book in a series based on her writings that open every episode of the Science of Magic radio show. Drawing on the subject matter of each guest and armed with over 40 years experience in shamanism, 35 years in alternative health, and degrees in psychology and religious studies, Gwilda introduces relevant and leading-edge information that supports spiritual evolution and personal empowerment. Rich with wisdom and inspirational quotes packaged in digestible segments, this is a book that will pull you from cover to cover. It will also serve as a daily inspirational reading for years to come. The Science of Magic Book of Mysteries, Volume 1, is available at our website, tsompublications.com, amazon.com, and wherever fine books are sold. Back in Victorian England, a famous theologian posed a perplexing riddle. Why are the two top personalities in the Bible tagged with the numbers 7 and 11? Academics agree the answer is found in the stunning discovery of a hitherto secret Bible structure explained in a new book called The Genesis Grid. The discovery is so simple that preschool children could illustrate it. Certain claims are hugely controversial and may offend some, but at the X-Zone, we've studied this awesome new book and agree with one expert, and I quote, These discoveries appear to be beyond coincidence. So who or what hid this wonderful pattern in the Bible, and what might they do next? Find out more, X-Zone Nation, and read reviews on www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk.
John Potash is our special guest this hour, Exonation, www.johnpotash.com. We were talking about the U.S. media a few minutes ago, John, before we went to the break. And here in Canada, uh, there is one major, two major, three major companies that own and run, I would say, 96% of all the media. So this seems to be a common trend that, uh, that we're seeing and what it is doing. It's uh, allowing the owners to basically monopolize the air, print, and television. Yeah, so thank God for radio stations like yours, radio programs like yours, Rob, to get out more information. All we can do is try our very best, my friend. Yeah. So uh, where does, you know, like I, I'm, you know, like I remember the 60s quite well. You know, the Beatles, uh, Rolling Stones, um, Herman's Hermits, and, and the rest of them. But the number one guy way back then was Elvis Presley. And from what I remember about Elvis, you know, he was kind of a real nice guy. Uh, he wanted to work as a federal agent for the, uh, for the uh, which administration was it? Nixon administration? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, well, and that's when he was being controlled, sure. Yeah, so, so was, he, was he a member uh, of, of a controlled, uh, was he in the CIA, essentially? No, I, I argue that Elvis, well, Elvis, of course, was the first white rock superstar. Yeah. And so when he could, and this was, you know, he, by the time of 19, he was already becoming a, a superstar. So when he couldn't handle the huge fame and mega success at mm -hmm. around, say, 20 years old, a top Army Reserve officer, uh, Colonel Tom Parker, stepped into his life and reportedly hooked Elvis on speed and downers the rest of his life. And so this both promoted the drug amongst other musicians who looked up to Elvis, and it promoted it to the public for people who found out about it. But it also, more importantly, controlled you know, what was the most influential musician in the country. And uh, people said that Elvis was revolutionary in the sense of freeing men's emotions for the first time. You know, a guy named John Trudell, who was head of the American Indian Movement in the 1970s, said that's how he wrote a, a song called Baby Che about Elvis, saying Elvis was the Che Guevara of his generation for freeing men's emotions. And that's how he felt about him. And so this Colonel Tom Parker and other agents surrounded Elvis and led him not to perform live for almost 10 years in the prime of his career in the late 1950s and 1960s. They also got him enlisted in the Army and sent him over to West Germany, where MKUltra was very hot in mm -hmm. terms of doing tons of tests, so many tests that when uh, Frank Olson, who I was talking about earlier, yeah. and, you know, highlighting Wormwood, went over there, it just, it, it just so scared him that he saw the MKUltra experiments with torture leading to deaths. You know, they were torturing people to death over in, in Germany, so they're running all kinds of MKUltra operations out there, over there. And so when Elvis came back, he, you know, he couldn't, they, you know, Colonel Tom Parker and what they called the Memphis Mafia that surrounded Elvis uh, had him using uppers and downers for the rest of his life. So he died of uppers and downers at the age of 42, and they completely controlled him. They wouldn't allow him to do, they'd only allowed him to do canned movies, it wouldn't allow him to do, you know, loads of great movies he was offered, such as West Side Story and The Star is Born. Hmm. And, um, you know, and so they controlled him the rest of his life, I argue. But he consistently... Uh, went to black, you know, concerts in the 1950s when it was segregated, and said, "I'm not the king of rock and roll." People like, uh, you know, uh, is it Dizzy Gillespie and other, you know, other top music black musicians at the time were, you know, I'm sorry, not Dizzy Gillespie, but um, what's his name, uh, Fats Domino, and people like that were right. the real, yeah. you know, kings of rock and roll. 
So he was real. He a lot of black uh, entertainers really defended him for you know what he what he was about back then, and sad that he was controlled the rest of his life and had him do stupid things like you know represent Nixon in the sixties or seventies when he was still under that control. So so did Elvis really have a a, um, a hard on for drugs? Like, is this why he wanted to become a uh, an agent for the U.S. government, or was this all part of a uh, a facade that he uh, that he was put under by his controllers, and in this case, uh, Colonel Parker. What? Yeah, I think Colonel Colonel Parker, who was a real colonel, he was a top Army Reserve officer mm-hmm. for the Louisiana Army Reserve, where they ran loads of covert operations out of the Army, you know, Louisiana yep. Army Reserve, including using agents that uh, were part of the assassination of Martin Luther King. Um, so Elvis was controlled. He he just you know being on uppers and downers all the time, mm-hmm. huge amounts of them. He just didn't have a whole lot of uh, independent you know actions and thoughts. Sadly enough, fascinating. What is the importance of the Kennedys, M- M- MK, uh, MLK, and Malcolm X being assassinated while opposing the Vietnam War? And I'd like to say at this time. I'd like to uh, I'd like to recognize that today is January the fifteenth, Martin Luther King Day in the United States, and to all of those mm-hmm. who are participating in this great day, you know, blessings to each and every one of you. Martin Luther King had the right idea, and it's pretty bad when you think that the people who have the good ideas who want to bring peace, understanding, love, and brotherhood to a nation mm-hmm. are assassinated. Yeah, I mean, Martin Luther King was you know an extraordinary. Person, I mean, yeah. anyone who's heard him speak off the cuff, uh, he just makes incredible speeches just off the cuff. He, he was just a brilliant, you know, incredible man. I, I heard Such something told. Man. I, I, I heard Go something on. told about Martin Luther King. The reason why his speeches were so great because they were from his heart and they were the truth. Yeah, I mean, he had speeches written for him also, but some were some were off the cuff and were just mm-hmm. yeah, so so from the heart and amazing. And he he was it's no coincidence that he was assassinated, according to his friend William Pepper, uh, who's a Oxford uh, you know law, prof- mm-hmm. law Oxford professor who teaches international law at, at Oxford and human rights at Oxford. He was a friend. He was an American friend of uh, Martha King's when he was alive. And then the uh, King family had Mar- William Pepper represent them in an historic 1999 trial, which was mostly hidden. Where they found Pepper found he brought loads seventy witnesses and loads of his evidence that he had accumulated over a twenty five year period to find that the government were co conspirators in the assassination of Martin Luther King, and uh, Pepper said in in uh, one of his books that it was exactly one year after MLK came out against the Vietnam War that he was assassinated. So what was so important about him coming out against the Vietnam War exactly. to, to you know, murder him? And I argue it was because that the Vietnam War was a war for the uh, Golden Triangle opium fields and to get control of the opium fields for producing opiates and heroin. Hmm. And that was what the Vietnam War was about. And that's why Malcolm X, being one of the first leaders to come out against the Vietnam War, as well as you know JFK and RFK coming out, out against the Vietnam War, um, you know, JFK, according to best evidence, was was going to withdraw troops from Vietnam by all troops by 1965. RFK uh, spoke out against the Vietnam War and actually, according to Pepper, made entreaties to MLK to be his vice presidential running mate in 1968. He was, you know, that would have been the first black vice president if, you know, RFK wasn't assassinated, if they both weren't assassinated. Right. So, 
that's some of what what that was really about. So, so when we look at the world in those days, we had the Cuban Missile Crisis, we had the war in Vietnam, we had the we had the assassination of Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, Robert Kennedy. What's what's the common thread here? There's got to be a common thread. Yeah, I mean, a common thread that I show is the fact that any you know any great leader, inspiring leader who stands up against stands up for civil rights against racism plus stands up against war, um, stands up against uh, drug use, yeah. which is a, you know, a means of social control, I show in my book. And that's what part of the, why, the, why the heroin and opiates in Vietnam, you know, the Golden Triangle around Vietnam was so coveted, was to get this, this substance that not only makes tons of money for the people that traffic it, but also controls populations. Um, you know, when you spread it through a population, you get percentages of people addicted, but you get communities, uh, you know, trying to catch up to this chaos that's developed in the communities when there's drugs are rampant in the communities. And you see that more and more with all this massive opiate addiction in our country and, uh, you know, all the families affected by it, not just the addict. And uh, so the, the oligarchs knew this. They had made tons of money off of opium track it trafficking back in the 1700s and 1800s mm-hmm. they were involved with the the uh the british in the trafficking then especially the war you know the what they called the opium war against china in the mid 1800s that forced china to accept the opium into their country and so here it was there you know the, the two largest wars in u.s history were in around Vietnam, around the Golden Triangle of opiates, you know, of poppy fields there, and at the other end of the same mountain range, in Afghanistan, where it's called the Golden Crescent for poppy fields that produce opium and heroin, and so it's no coincidence that those are the two longest wars in U.S. history. Afghanistan, of course, uh, has has gotten uh, overtaken Vietnam for the longest war in U.S. history, and they now say 90% of the opium and heroin in the world comes from the Afghanistan area. Is it any wonder, then, that the CIA and other covert operations use the trafficking of drugs, especially cocaine and heroin, instead of money, because it's harder to track than money is? Right. Yeah, definitely. It's just they make so much money yeah. off of the black market you know, work they do. And and but it's infused into our economy, believe it or not. I mean, the the banks uh, launder this money, and mm-hmm. uh, the way it works with with the stock market is with the projected revenues of uh, like Catherine Austin Fitz was a someone who analyzed the stock market. She was one of the top at one of the top stock market firms, and then she was assistant uh, assistant secretary of housing under Bush Senior. She came, uh, became like actually a good humanitarian activist after that, and came out with the fact of the, that when drugs are uh, laundered, when all the drug money is laundered by a uh, company on the stock market, it increases the value of that stock by twenty to thirty times what it, you know what all that liquid cash is put into it. Oh, so it ends up, it ends up. Um, making huge amounts of money, billions and billions of dollars for the banks and the multinational All right, John, corporations. St- stand by, John. We've got to take our break. We'll be back on the other side no of the crap. news. John Potash is our guest, www.johnpotash.com. Don't go away. From 
our broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State certified occupational school training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments enabling international participation and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, it was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. John Potash is our special guest this hour, Exonation, www.johnpotash.com. John, you state the CIA's MKUltra program worked with Timothy Leary in the uh, San Francisco area. Everybody remembers him. Uh, how did that play out? Well, so I previously mentioned the CIA MKUltra-funded human ecology yeah. fund. that They gave the money for a psychology professor. They uh, Professor Timothy Leary at Harvard to test LSD on students for several years before Harvard expelled Leary in 1963. 
And so Human Ecology also funded a Stanford University-linked hospitals test with uh, LSD one paid volunteer, Ken Kesey. So to get back to Leary, Leary ended up getting loads of media attention when William and Peggy Mellon Hitchcock started funding Leary's LSD promoting group both in the U.S. and Mexico. And so the Mellon Hitchcock, Hitchcock family uh, was intimately connected to U.S. intelligence. They also owned Gulf Oil, Mellon Bank. And so Bill Mellon Hitchcock then rented his mansion to Leary, and many MKUltra scientists set up shop there, testing MKUltra psychedelics on the many artists and activists who were invited up there for a big party. And so this was just above New York City. And uh, now at the same time, New York was the biggest source for people that joined the Freedom Riders to help Martin Luther King and the uh, Civil Rights Movement down south. And so I argue and show the evidence that they were trying to lure many of these, these you know, activists up there to this party uh, just north of the city and then turn them onto acid and hurt their minds with all kinds of psychedelics, actually, that they would test on them. And so I name a lot of the MKUltra scientists that were working there in that, in that mansion. Now, the second biggest activist area in, in this early to mid-60s time period was the San Francisco Bay Area, where University of California, Berkeley, Stanford, and other schools were located. So after MKUltra paid Ken Kesey to try LSD, they gave him a part-time job as a janitor at the hospital while he attended their graduate school for writing at Stanford. And Kesey wrote a popular novel there, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yeah. While, um, oh, you were going to ask something? No, no, um, I was saying, oh, yeah, that's, that was uh, yeah. later turned into a great movie with Jack Nicholson. Right, right. And so, yeah, it's great that he wrote that book. His mm. next book wasn't anywhere near, near as good, I argue, and then he couldn't really write anything decent thereafter because he started just hurting his mind with so much acid. So he's working at a janitor at the place that he had just done the experiments, and while he's working at a janitor at the Stanford-affiliated hospital, they give him the keys to the LSD supply and allow him to steal uh, the acid regularly for many acid parties he threw at his house. And I argue that this was a West Coast version of what was happening with Leary in the East Coast. Because, um, so he throws these acid parties regularly, gets influential artists and writers to come to his parties. Then some, some, of these, some people convince him to paint a bus in psychedelic covers and travel across the country with this group who called themselves the Pranksters promoting acid across the country. And they made an unusual, instead he was supposed to just cross the country to New York, but they made an unusual route all through the civil rights south, okay, where all this activism is happening in the south, then come back up to New York. And so they're promoting acid all along the way, and no police stop them for all their drug use in the uh, bus. Wow. So they get back from that, that trip. Mm-hmm. And then they start what's called the acid test. And the acid tests are in San Francisco and Los Angeles. And Kesey actually changes his mind about all this about after the second or third acid test and says, I, I want to stop this. I want to tell people to graduate from acid. But so he was pushed aside at that point. Police all of a sudden arrest him for marijuana use. And he has to flee to Mexico. And two people take over uh, that situation, two people that had just come out of the military, okay, and those two people that just come out of the military uh, start throwing much bigger acid, you know, fest, uh, acid tests. They call the Trips Festival. Now, top MK Ultra scientist John Gittinger said in an affidavit that him and two other MK Ultra scientists attended the Trips Festival and several other of these acid tests. 
you know. So this is just a such this shows this is evidence that this was just like uh, Leary's mansion with all the MKUltra scientists there, and this is all MKUltra work, you know. Now the Grateful Dead played music for those acid tests, and uh, they just they had vats of Kool Aid with LSD in them. Some people knew there was acid in the Kool Aid, some people didn't. Loads, wow. thousands and thousands of people were involuntarily dosed with LSD at these you know acid tests. And one other aspect I'll just say of them is that they you know they pretend like this was a uh, grassroots phenomenon, but we call that you know public mm-hmm. relations calls that astroturf. You know, an astroturf campaign, meaning meaning fake grassroots. And what really happened with that was they, they you know, pretend it was grassroots, but, but they got the Who to write a song about it, Magic Bus. They got the Beatles, and someone manipulated the Beatles to do a whole album called Magical Mystery Tour, which was really based on that whole, you know, uh, bus going around the country promoting acid. And uh, that's how they, they helped popularize LSD so much in the United States. What does SDS stand for, and, and why would the CIA murderously target them? So SDS stands for Students for Democratic Society, and they started out doing civil rights work around when they started in 1960, and were doing union support work, and they evolved into the biggest student anti-war group in U.S. history. And evidence supports that undercover agents, such as uh, FBI undercover agent George Demerley, continuously tried to get the Columbia University SDS group tripping. And Columbia SDS had the first building takeover um, against the war. And so Columbia SDS happened to say that they thought acid was anti-revolutionary. So they refused to use acid. And so then Demerley mm-hmm. had started a like, subgroup uh, called the Crazies inside Abby Hoffman's group, the Yippies. And so uh, the, the Crazies had invited... Uh, had, had gone, actually gone to a party of uh, Columbia SDSs. They then dosed the punch with tons of acid uh, without the you know, Columbia SDS knowing. But once they got them tripping, they convinced them that, that acid is good and fun. And so Mark Rudd was uh, manipulated to say, okay, he's, he's not against acid anymore. And after that, Mark Rudd, who was a great SDS leader, became very erratic. Um, as as did the SDS national leaders, such as Bernadine Dorn, when she started tripping, and, and um, she had formed a group called the Weathermen that later became known as the Weather Underground, and they, they kind of Bernadine Dorn was sadly enough part of the uh, split of SDS uh, in 1969, and so when she became part of the Weathermen, and with Mark Rudd and others, like uh, Billy Ayers and others. Um, they they took to a new. They had tried all the other means for stopping the war, um, and finally, a lot of activists had actually started bombing buildings, you know, planting bombs in buildings and calling in advance to evacuate the buildings to not hurt people. But they would plant bombs in buildings that were associated with the Vietnam War, and um, you know, as as much as a debated as this tactic would be, it was uh, just to stop the atrocities of over two million people getting killed in Vietnam War including hundreds of thousands of uh, – or at least tens of thousands, if yeah. not hundreds of thousands of Americans, plus you know millions of Vietnamese getting killed. And so when Bernie Dorn started tripping, though, she actually lauded uh, Charles Manson and his followers after their gruesome murders at a Weatherman convention. And she later apologized for that, but it just showed how acid had affected her judgment. And um, so that's, that's part of what, you know, why they were targeted. 
was to hurt their, their judgment, their best judgment in these kinds of situations. You know, we were talking about uh, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. We were talking about uh, Magical Mystery Tour, the Magic Ride, mm-hmm. and so on. Um, do you think that the U.S. and British intelligence agencies targeted them? Specifically, yes. the, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. Yes, and so Ernest Hemingway's longtime editor, A.E. Hotchner, wrote a book titled Blown Away about the Rolling Stones. And in Blown Away, Hotchner said that in 1965, MKUltra Deputy Director Robert Lashbrook, who was uh, highlighted in that, that documentary Wormwood mm-hmm. I talked about earlier, he brought loads of LSD money and agents to London with instructions to get acid in as many musicians' hands as possible. And that same year, the dentist for Beatles guitarist George Harrison invited him, John Lennon, and their partners over for dinner. So the dentist then proceeded to dose their coffee after dinner. And while Lennon was furious about it, Harrison had never heard of LSD at that time, and they were all just really thrown off guard with this uh, you know, dosing. And uh, so at the time, so Lennon vowed, you know, was really, really angry about it. But later, loads of people convinced uh, Lennon and Harrison to take acid again. But I argue these were undercover agents that were surrounding Lennon and Harrison. And so the Beatles started tripping again, and it was only in 1967 that Harrison said, this is disgusting, I'm not tripping anymore. But when he you know, vowed to not trip anymore, the you know, media didn't cover it. Only when they were tripping course, and yeah. promoting acid did the media cover it up a storm. And so a similar thing happened to Jagger. Not, he wasn't dosed, but an undercover FBI agent named David Schneiderman, uh, also known as the Acid King, had entered Jagger's life um, and came to Rolling Stone's party and uh, got Jagger tripping for the first time in 1967. And then uh, a few hours or two after the, you know, Jagger started tripping, police come in, they, uh, they arrest Jagger and Keith Richards. They don't arrest Schneiderman, who's got a briefcase full of drugs. And so they thus, the media thus promoted acid with the arrest, but also got some of the Rolling Stones under legal authority's thumb at that point. Wow. You and they later actually killed uh, Brian Jones, sadly enough. And Brian Jones and Mick Jagger were the most outspoken against the Vietnam War. In 1969, they refused Brian Jones a visa, so he couldn't travel with the Stones to, on the American tour. Mm-hmm. And so he called his friends John Lennon and Jimi Hendrickson, who tentatively agreed to form a new band with uh, Brian Jones. And so Jones had sobered up by that point, according to Hotchner. And Hotchner says that witnesses said that they saw people drowning uh, Brian Jones in his own swimming pool, but they called it an accidental drowning. Stand by, John. You won't have to have to take our final break. Great talking to you again. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day sure. to join us here, pal. Exonation, John, uh, John Potash is our special guest, www.johnpotash.com. And we'll be back as we wrap up this hour here in the X-Zone with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. On the other side of this break, don't go away. Named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the Exxon radio show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8800. 
888-382-8986 or Skype at elizabeth.joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howell expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From out of the woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www. WilliamSPeckham.com John Potash is our special guest this hour, Exonation, www.johnpotash.com. What was the, the reason why Number one, LSD was was manufactured or created. And number two, why does it seem that all research has stopped? And has it stopped? Or is this another black operation that the intelligence agencies are using? Well, uh, the government documents when LSD say themselves that they, they, the purpose of LSD was to help manipulate the population. And... You know, evidence shows that they were successful mm-hmm. with that. They they kept spreading LSD. Um, the top, like in the early 1970s, a man named Ronald Stark had become the largest acid dealer in the world, and with acid laboratories on several continents. And his co his he had cohorts, of course, and he was working with the Mellon Hitchcock group that uh, called itself the Brotherhood of Eternal Love that Leary was also involved with. And so, um, you know. By spreading, I mean, Stark was found by a British police inspector to have been dealing, you know, manufacturing and spreading uh, hundreds of millions of hits of acid. It's absolutely incredible what he was doing. And so 
the uh, again, the documents show it's to manipulate people better. They found they can manipulate them easier because the acids seem to have some kind of effect, uh, negative effect on people's minds. I mean, I know uh, personally it hurt, you know, just a half dozen hits in college hurt my grades and hurt my emotional control when right. it took took a year to to get my grades back up after stopping acid, but it was, you know, I still lost like some memory, uh, you know, capabilities, you know, for a while and emotional control issues for a while. And, and I found, uh, doing, uh, counseling when people, especially with people with drug issues for years, I found that a number of people just really lose a lot of control and the more acid they did. And, you know, and so it develops, you develop anxiety disorders by when you eat too much, you know, take too much acid, for example. So they knew that in all their research. And I think that was part of the reason for spreading acid was that to control people. And so when Ron Stark got arrested in Mm -hmm. in the 1970s in Italy, the first judge on his case was murder. And the second judge let him go saying he had proved he was working for U.S. intelligence since 1960. And the Italian government commission confirmed this. What evidence is there that actually supports the fact that the U.S. intelligence agencies have been the largest LSD traffickers in the world? Yeah, besides Ron Stark, there was just a number of U.S. intelligence-connected people. As I said, uh, the Mellon-Hitchcock family was intimately involved with U.S. intelligence, had several people uh, that were part of U.S. intelligence throughout the decades. Um, the guy Nick Sand was connected to U.S. intelligence and British intelligence. Um, they just there was you know when Robert Lashbrook uh, took all that acid over to England, mm-hmm. uh, it just shows they started major operations over there with another British intelligence agent named Michael Hollingshead who was had a center for you know promoting acid and he vowed to get in as many influential artists' hands as possible. And so that's just like some of the evidence that uh, U.S. intelligence in particular, but you know, also collaborative intelligence agencies were very involved in spreading acid amongst the masses to hurt our minds. And it still goes on today. And I've got the evidence that still goes on today. The Human Ecology Fund, uh, by all accounts, appears to have morphed into other uh, groups that pretend to be um, – doing benevolent work, but a group called the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies has vast amounts of money and, and funds uh, college studies all over the world to promote LSD. Another group called the Hefter Institute similarly does that kind of work, and they're funded by the Rockefellers, who had also uh, put loads of money into MKUltra way back when. Do you think the targeting of the Panthers in the 60s and other black figures on the cover has anything to do with police brutality incidents in the news? Yes, um, and I think it starts, like the beginning of my book, I mentioned how the oligarchs started the eugenics movement in the U.S., which passed genocidal, bigoted laws in 27 states. So these laws called for sterilization and elimination of masses of people who weren't rich, white, Anglo-Saxon Protestants. It gave uh, percentages of each group that were supposed to be genetically inferior with the highest percentage uh, purportedly being, of course, black people. Now, while Nazi Germany gave eugenics a bad image worldwide, mm-hmm. Evan supports that the movement continued behind closed doors, and the oligarchs influenced FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover to call for the neutralization of the Black Panther Party for self-defense. And over 25 Black Panthers were murdered. 
such as uh, Chicago Panther leader Fred Hampton, and they were murdered by the police. I mean, best evidence shows that about Hampton, there was already a court case, one, that the police murdered Fred Hampton. Um, and I argued as evidence that most of these Black Panthers were killed by undercover agents. Now, there's also evidence supporting that U.S. intelligence murdered a National Panther co-founder, Huey Newton, after agents first got him to use cocaine. So uh, today, with the police brutality, I argue that that eugenics philosophy never died out. There's a lot of evidence that eugenics has continued. Um, a writer named Dave McGowan showed great evidence of how eugenics is being run through a number of other uh, groups, and it's just a, it's basically the fact that the oligarchs in our country are extremely racist, and they um, and so they're these officers that are uh, murdering you know blacks, shooting them in the back. Uh, they they appear to be suffering from some kind of uh, either PTSD from the war because a lot of uh, War veterans then go into police mm -hmm. and possibly suffering from dissociative identity disorder from all the trauma they've gone through. But um, it's just unbelievable how they've turned some of these police officers into monsters to do these kinds of shootings and, and not, get, not get convicted for these murders. When we look at the news today, besides the police officers and uh, what we see uh, during these riots and demonstrations, as an observer someone who has knowledge of the use of LSD and how it affects sociological situations as well as institutions. Do you see any proof in the media today that LSD is alive and well? Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, it's, I mean, when you look at the uh, maps, well, yeah, you just see it, you, you read accounts of it in the music magazines and mm -hmm. all the rock festivals. Now, of course, I love music. So I, I love, you know, uh, all these musicians who I talk about, right. which was sadly targeted, and that was part of my passion for, for showing this. But um, people, you know, at these, at these music fests, there's mm -hmm. tons of psychedelics being used. I mean, it's just talked about like it's fun and normal and, you know, and everything's fine with it, sadly enough. And, uh, you know, when these groups like the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies or MAPS promotes it and says, look, you know, like mushrooms and, and acid can actually, you know, uh, help with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and, and say they're, you know, it can be therapeutic for depression. Mm -hmm. That's really, you know, that they're promoting it up a storm, and it's being used up a storm. And as a counselor, I'm he hearing about it being used up a storm, you know. In your opinion, as a counselor, is there a place in today's society for LSD? Well, um, I say no because of the dangers of it, the way mm -hmm. it can hurt our minds. Um, I am, you know, I, I mean, I, I guess something like weed for medical use, maybe, maybe right. it does, you know, maybe it helps glaucoma, maybe it helps with certain cancers mm -hmm. for all I know. I'm not sure. But I, the problem is that if when weed is pushed for one, one medical issue, which is fine if it works for that medical issue, I'm fine with it being legal. I'm worried that, that what kids are saying is that, oh, well, well it's good for this medical issue. Yeah. It must be therapeutic for all these other medical issues. And they and people are smoking up a storm and getting incredibly apathetic while the fascist oligarchs are rolling over us, changing the laws and taking away our rights more and more and having more you know, perpetual war in this country and, and eroding the rights of uh, you know, civil rights that mm -hmm. were gained in the 60s, et cetera. Do you think that the recreational use of pot should be legalized? 
I, I'm pretty neutral on that. Um, I'm, I guess I'm okay with it. I just mm-hmm. wish it wasn't used so much because it, it made me lazy in high school and almost gra- not graduated from high school because I was smoking every day by my right. senior year of high school. And then when I started giving it up in college, you know, I, then I, only then could I see my potential you know, with academics and hard work. And so I just, I, it's sad when I see so many teenagers and, and college students not having, you know, not giving it up because of all the, uh, all the promotion of the health, of, you know, positive health effects of it. And then I see them also failing out of high school or failing out of college early or not seeing their potential. So John, you know, even got- though I think it's legal, I think it's sad that it's, it's just so promoted. John, we've got about 60 seconds left before we have to say so long. First of all, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Continued success. And what are your final thoughts for the Exxon Nation tonight? Well, just thanks so much for uh, getting helping me expose some of this information and hopefully helping save our great artists such as uh, you know, John Lennon yeah. and Jimi Hendrix, but also Kurt Cobain and Tupac Shakur. And, um, you know, it's sad that they were used in the same ways to, to promote the drugs. But then when they started sobering up and promoting activism, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anti-war activism, civil rights activism type activism, they were done away with. But I uh, just thanks so much for helping me get the word out on this, Rob. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Look forward to the next time you join us back here in the Exxon. But quickly, give our listeners the, 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 your website and how they can get a copy of your books. Yeah, so it's uh, you can go to johnpodash.com. It's also uh, labeled uh, drugsasweapons.com. Uh, but you can get it at either Barnes & Noble or Amazon. Um, sold both you know, there. Um, Barnes & Noble, if they don't have it on the shelf, they, they say they can get it within two or three days you know, in their store. And, um, or you can you buy a signed copy from me uh, at you know, johnpodash.com. And um, I also have a film based on the first book, uh, That Guy Wore on Tupac Shakur and Black Leaders. John, take care of yourself. The very best to you in the new year. And I look forward to the next time you come back here and join us. Keep up the great work, John. Thanks again, Rob. You do the same. Take care, my friend. Exxon Nation, John Potash has been our guest. And I'll be back on the other side of this break. With the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't forget John Potash, www.johnpotash.com. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? 
We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.